I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Healy's away, Australia away. Sit back and enjoy the strike play of Meg Lanny. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth. T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Welcome back to The Scoop, the cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. Both of us are joining you today from Hotel Quarantine in Sydney as we prepare to enter the WBBL bubble. And safe to say our first couple of days have absolutely flown by with so much cricket to enjoy. LJ, what was your highlight of the ODIs? I just think the greatest thing we saw this series was these kids coming into the Australian team and just looking right at home at international level. Annabelle Sutherland taking the new ball in place of Elise Perry in the first ODI. Just talk about pressure, but she picked up the wicket of Amy Satterthwaite really early on. And then in the third match, promoted to number three in place of Meg Lanning, the youngest ever number three for Australia. And she showed really promising signs, got good time in the middle, and she's going to take so much out of that experience. How about you, Em? Uh, for me, this might be an obvious one, but watching Meg Lanning, the best ODI batter in the world, back in the form of her life, she had a bit of a lean T20 series. So to just see her back in the middle with 50 overs to play, uh, just watching her do her thing, looking at so at home in the middle, she scored a magnificent century in the second ODI. It was just glorious to watch. I think you'll, I don't think you'll find anyone who didn't enjoy watching Meg Lanning put on a show at AB Field. All right, let's jump into the power play to cover off all the talking points from the Rose Bowl series, which is staying in Australian possession for a little while longer, isn't it, LJ? Absolutely is. The dominance of the Australian team over New Zealand in one day is stretching into a third decade now. They've kept the trophy that they won back in 2000. And I'd say they're very pleased to be keeping that iconic piece of silverware. But what the Australian team also managed, which has made headlines everywhere, was the fact they've now had 21 ODI 
ODI wins in a row, equaling Ricky Ponting's remarkable record from back in 2003. It's a run that started back in India in 2018. They've now won seven series on the trot, beating six different teams. It's an incredible record and it's really hard to see where this run could actually end. And one of the key players in ensuring that streak carried on was uh, the captain, Meg Lanning. She absolutely was. When Meg Lanning is in this sort of form in ODI cricket, it's hard to go past her as the best one-day batter in the world. We saw in the second ODI with the Rose Bowl series on the line, Meg notched up her 14th one-day 100, her ninth while chasing. She was just in impeccable form out in the middle. It's just a shame we haven't had more of a chance to see her shine in that format over the last year because You can certainly see she loves playing that format of the game. It was a shame to see her miss the final ODI with the hamstring issue that she picked up in that second ODI, uh, all the while scoring a century. But it didn't seem to matter too much for the Aussies because they certainly damped their authority in the third ODI with a mega win over the Kiwis. It's quite incredible to think that their most dominant win of the whole 21-run streak came without Meg Lanning or Elise Perry in that 11, the two strongest one-day players in the team if not in the world it's incredible and it shows what depth this Australian team now has I think at one point a few years ago you might have said Landing and Perry were probably a fair way ahead of the rest of the the team in terms of skills but nowadays it's just not the case they stepped up and Elisa Healy Rachel Haynes absolutely dominated with the bat the bowlers they just have so many options got it done with the ball bowling them out for just 93 runs and in fairness New Zealand they were missing Susie Bates and Leah Tahuhu but I think it was just an amazing demonstration of just the incredible depth in the Australian team but now we move back into T20 mode the WBBL is just a few weeks away and one thing to come out of this series were a few injuries that are actually going to have some WBBL clubs quite worried Meg Lanning had her hamstring niggle that seemed quite minor so the Melbourne Stars should be fine there Elise Perry was ruled out of the whole New Zealand series and it still seems a bit up in the air whether she will be available for the Sydney Sixers for that opening weekend and Delissa Kimmins wasn't available through the ODIs either with a hamstring niggle so the Brisbane Heat will be watching her carefully and of course on the New Zealand side of things Susie Bates has ruled out the series with a shoulder that's going to be a concern for the Adelaide Strikers and Leah Tahuhu with the, that side strain it's another one for the Renegades to watch closely so we'll be keeping a close eye on how those players are going over the next few weeks. But the good news is that all those players have a couple of weeks to recover before they all come together with their various clubs in the WBBL Village ahead of the tournament start, which is on October 25. And with the tournament so close now, we've seen all the international spots are now locked in. The Scorchers revealed their last two overseas players, leg spinner Sarah Glenn and wicketkeeper Amy Jones coming over from England. The Strikers have got Stefani Taylor back for another season and the Thunder have two newbies who they've recruited from other clubs with England captain Heather Knight and batter Tammy Beaumont. Yeah, it's great to see all those superstars coming back to Australia in after what's been a pretty difficult time for the whole world. So we know that the overseas players have arrived and are quarantining in Adelaide. Seen a few Instagram updates from uh, the likes of Dane Van Niekirk and Marazan Cap, who certainly seem to be managing to pass the time. The Victorian-based players are already in Sydney along with ourselves. So it's all getting very real now. We're lucky enough to be joined today by Aussie Vice Captain and Player of the Rose Bowl Series, Rachel Haynes. Rach, thanks for joining us today from Brizzy. Thanks for having me. And now 222 runs across the series. You looked 
in amazing form from where we were watching. Do you feel like this is some of the best form of your career? Yeah, I certainly feel like I'm hitting the ball really well. Um, yeah, I'm sure you've heard a lot of the girls say that it was a really long pre-season, um, which it was. And yeah, I think probably the thing that I realised in COVID was just how much I missed competing. And so to have the opportunity to come out um, in this series and, and play some cricket for Australia, um, I was really craving yeah game time and, and getting out into the middle. So it was nice that the things I'd been working on, um, you know, had, had made a really big impact and I was able to bring that to life uh, during the series. Yeah, so you mentioned that you've been working on a few things. Talk us through that pre-season. Like, was there anything you did differently that you think has helped achieve these results? Um, look, I had a, a thing that I was working on from, from last season, just sort of fixing up um, my weight distribution in my stance. So I got into a really bad habit um, towards sort of the end or the middle of last year and tried to spend big bash fixing it. And um, it was really tough to try and fix things while you're trying to play and perform. So um, yeah, I was able, I guess, to rally towards the back end of last season um, and and did okay at the World Cup. So um, yeah, during the the off season, I was just sort of really trying to nail that down and, and get used to it. Um, and then, yeah, I also did some, some work on my offside game as well, just to open up um, some other scoring areas because I think probably teams, when they think of me and, and plan for me, they, they really sort of um, plan for the leg side because I've probably spent most of my career hawking the ball over there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice, um, as I said, that the, the things I've been working on I've been able to bring to life. You're now the all-time leading run scorer in internationals at AB Field. What is it about that deck that you enjoy so much? Oh, it's a, a pretty nice career ground to bat on, to be honest. Um, you know, in, in saying that, probably the wickets that we face during this series, they're a little bit different to perhaps what you traditionally expect there. It's at times a, a bit of a batter's paradise and really unforgiving for the bowlers. But yeah, I think it's the, a ground where you can just really get yourself in on and you get such good value for your shots. You don't have to overhit the ball. Um, and you get value hitting through the field too, as opposed to maybe, you know, feeling like you've got to go over the top or anything like that. So yeah, once you get in and you can, you can pierce the field there, uh, it's a very nice place to bat. And it's definitely somewhere I've always enjoyed playing throughout my career. And you shared a, a pretty big uh, partnership with Meg Lanning there in the second ODI. I think what is it about Meg that makes her so good at chasing down these totals? Oh, I think she just... Um, is really composed and, and really clear on what she wants to do. Um, she's happy just to, you know, take the runs that are given to her. And when she wants to flick the switch, she does. Um, she's got so many different gears and, and layers to her game. And that's what makes her such a world-class player. Um, and I've seen her do it so many times before just to, you know, almost bat within herself and um, make sure she's there at the end to, to get her team across the line. And, so, yeah, it's no surprise to see her do that um, during the series as well. Now, Rach, so the team notched up 21 ODI wins on the trot. You've just come off 10 T20 series wins in a row. Is there anything that's dramatically changed in the last two years or so that's, um, yeah, really sort of impacted these results? Uh, look, I think as a group, we talk a lot about that one-day World Cup in England and how uh, disappointed we were to get knocked out in the, the semi-final stage. And, you know, that was probably, I guess, our line in the sand moment where we really sat down and um, had to think about, you know, individually how we wanted to improve, but also as a team, what was important to us and what we wanted to focus on. And I think from that moment and having, you know, those reflections and honesty within the group, um, you know, individuals have really gone away and, and taken ownership of their game. We've seen players go to another level, um, you know, thinking about, 
someone like Beth Mooney, Elisa Healy. Um, you know, obviously, Elise Perry's always been a high achiever, but I think she's taken her game to a new level too. Um, so, yeah, I think players doing that and then there being consistency within the team, it just means that um, you're not relying on one or two players all the time to get the job done. And when people have had little opportunities or had moments, they've generally really, you know, taken it with both hands. And I think the other thing as well, which has been really nice, is that, um, you know, both Meg and, and Matthew have done a really good job in bringing new players into the environment in that time too. So, um, you know, we've seen the likes of Sophie Molyneux, Georgia Wareham, Annabelle Sutherland, who, you know, did a really good job in this series, all get opportunities and and really, I guess, you know, take those as well. So it's been a really nice time to play. And I think, you know, the squad's really grown throughout that period too. And now, Rach, we just want to take you and the listeners on a little bit of a journey through those 21 wins, which some people might not be so familiar with. Um, first, going back to India in early 2018 to the city of Baroda. What do you uh, remember about that place and that time? The thing that really stands out for me is just sort of thinking about it. So we, we've missed Elise Perry in this series. There's been times where Meg hasn't played. Um, you know, you're taking at times some of the best players in the world out of teams um, and we're just seeing players come step in and, and, and take their opportunity. And I think that's probably, you know, a really good reflection on um, the work that Cricket Australia has done within the, the pathway as well. So um, from my point of view, I think it's no coincidence that, we've had the success and we've also seen programs like the MPS and Australia A definitely play a lot more. And so players are, yeah, a lot better coming in. On a, a similar vein, I think it was in Baroda that we saw Elisa Healy score her first century for Australia. And she's someone who's really stepped up throughout this whole run. How much has that move up to opener um, helped her or changed her game? Yeah, I think she's just... Um, really settled now within the lineup and she knows her role quite well. Um, you think about someone like Elisa early on in her career, like she's probably one of those players that, that has literally batted in every single position possible um, for Australia. So, um, yeah, I probably imagine the first half of her career, she's trying to establish herself and but getting exposed to lots of different roles. And that can be sometimes a, a bit of a challenge when you're a younger player, but She's really gone away, worked hard on her game. Um, you know, one of the things we really love about her is the aggression that she brings. And, you know, I think that it just sets the tone for our group and it gives confidence to players around her too. So, um, you know, I, I think she's really true to that now and understands that that's sort of how she can have the biggest impact. And she's not only having a, an impact on the ground for us as a team, I think, you know, people watching the game are really excited about how she goes about playing and um, the spectacle that she can put on. And if we then head to Malaysia, you guys played a series against Pakistan. Many memories of that series. Must have been a pretty interesting place to play some cricket. Yeah, okay. I do actually remember this one. So my memory's with me here. I think Soph Molyneux made her debut in that series. Um, and I remember that because I presented a cap. So thank God. Um, but yeah, if you had a said to me that you'd go to Malaysia and play a game of cricket, I probably wouldn't have believed you, let alone it be an international series. So it was really different. I remember um, walking the streets of Elise Villani and Meg Lanning were looking for something to eat and um, ended up at this sort of market area and we'd ordered our food and next 
thing we're sort of looking around we noticed these cats walking around and we sort of all looked at each other and thought is this right should we be eating him before the day before the match but um, we went with it and you know, it was a, an awesome experience. I absolutely loved it. And I love the food too. It was, it was really good. And, and the cricket, um, the conditions were actually quite challenging. It was so humid there. Um, and it just meant our training sessions ended up getting shorter and shorter, um, because you were just getting so drained. And one of the really nice things we were able to do there actually was meet the Thai cricket team. They came and, um, we were able to interact with them too. And, uh, you know, they went on to, to qualify for the T20 World Cup in Australia, which we played earlier this year as well. So, yeah, it was a, a really interesting experience. Um, probably the one other thing I remember about that tour is I think it was the Malaysian Prime Minister or, um, yeah, whoever their, their, their leader was uh, wanted to come to one of our games and we were... Um, Elisa Healy was absolutely on fire like she was nailing it it was incredible and so the game was going to finish early anyway they actually stopped the match before the winning runs were scored so that the um, prime minister whoever it was could get there to see the match otherwise they wouldn't have seen any of the cricket and we're all sitting on the sidelines going what is going on here like this would never happen if it was like a proper televised game in Australia and lo and behold, they, they came and they, they saw the, I think it was like the last five runs of the match. Um, but that was something I never thought would happen in international cricket, but it did. That is completely bizarre. The next series you guys played were New Zealand at home. So not quite as exotic as Malaysia, probably fewer uh, dignitaries turning up to stop cricket matches. But um, I think one of the big things to come out of that series was Pez scoring her first one day international century in Adelaide on a really, really hot day. Um, do you remember much about that ton and, and also like what it meant for everyone for her to, to break through with that her first century in the format? Yeah, I think whenever you have that moment and it's always really special and the thing about Elise, it's almost like, you know, you all couldn't believe she hadn't done it earlier because she's been such a world-class player for so long. Um, but yeah, for her to have that moment and she was absolutely bombing them that day. And I think I remember uh, Soph Devine might have come in or lead to her who bowled her a short ball and she just like naturally hooked it and it just sailed over the fielder on the fence for six. We all sort of had our heart in our mouth. We were like, oh my God, she's got so close and she, she might have hit it straight down someone's throat. But um, yeah, it was a, a really wonderful moment for her. She was yeah just hitting the ball so sweetly and yeah as I said really nice for her to to have that moment and be able to raise the bat after such a, a dominant display. A few months later we had the Ashes series in England so first match I'm not sure if you remember but overcame a bit of a scare in that first match but if we go to the third match it was Elise Perry again coming out and taking seven for 22. Have you ever seen anything quite like that? No that that was an absolute bowling masterclass um and the ground we're playing at the essentially the table sort of is on a slope so um Elise was bowling from an end which absolutely suit her to a tee so she naturally bowls away out swing but the ball was sort of just with the natural angle of the ground angling in and going away from the batters and um yeah I've, I've heard her talk about it and she underplays it a little bit but I know how much she plans going into a match and how much she she really thinks about how she wants to bowl to opposition players. And, um, you know, I know her and Benny Sawyer spend a, a bit of time on that. And so it was when you have those moments of players where 
everything you're working on or you're trying to do, you're able to execute almost flawlessly. Uh, it was pretty special to be out on the, the ground and, and see her just absolutely dominate like that. Then it was back to the Windies for you guys, always a, a good destination in Antigua. And I know the Windies were ravaged by injury, but there were some real highlights from Australia. I think Megan Midge turned up in the first match. Um, but there were absolute scenes in, before the second, I think, when Meg uh, pulled up a bit sore right before the match. I think you had to dash into the dressing rooms all of a sudden. There was a cat presentation. Um, can you take us back to that? Yeah, I do remember that. I was in my own world, just not warming up like I normally would. And I was sort of in a line with um, Ash Gardner and Elise Perry and we were just warming up. I was completely oblivious to what was happening around me. And uh, it got to the point, so Stefani Taylor was actually standing out in the middle um, as were the umpires for the coin toss and Meg was nowhere to be seen. And Pez sort of turned to me and she said, Rach, I think you might need to go get changed here. Like, you might be on. And I was like, what do you mean, mate? She's like, Meg hasn't come out. And so I thought, oh, I better go in. So I did a mad dash back to the change rooms and Meg's sort of just like sitting there and I think she'd done her back and she's like, I can't, I don't think I can do it. And so I was like quickly putting my clothes on. I was so frazzled and I sprinted out to the middle and had to apologise to Stefani. But um yeah, that was a bit of a, a crazy moment where, um, yeah, had it not been for my teammates' awareness, I probably would have missed the coin toss altogether. I don't even know what happens when you miss the coin toss, whether the other other team just gets to choose whatever it is that they want to do. But, um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a, one of those moments where there was a, a little bit going on. And what's it like touring in the Windies? I think that was probably a bit more chill than the, the previous year when there was a World Cup on the line. This was bilaterals what how is that different to other places that you tour well it just feels like you're on holiday to be honest because (laughs) you're surrounded by well you're generally in a a really nice resort and surrounded by beautiful beaches and it's really hard not to just go in the water and and spend a couple of hours um, lazing around and just enjoying the scenes but yeah I think it's such a a laid-back location to to go to all the people were just really relaxed and um, because it's a, an island sort of, well, they're all, all little island nations. Um, yeah, you can't help but go go to the water or go to the beach at some point and enjoy a nice walk around or, or something like that. So, yeah, I, I really love touring there. I think it's um, it's such a, a nice location. The people are, are super friendly and um, the cricket's pretty enjoyable as well. And then we came back to Australia, so back at in Brisbane at AB Field and your happy hunting ground taking on the Sri Lankans, guessing you remember what happened there? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're alluding to, to my um, debut 100, um, yeah, it was nice to, to achieve that during that series. Um, yeah, I actually felt like I was a little bit scratchy, to be honest, sort of um, throughout that period. And um, so, yeah, it was nice to spend some time in the middle and, and, and grind out, um, yeah, my, my first 100 and, the other thing I remember as well was Elisa Healy was absolutely smoking them throughout that period as well. She was in some some pretty rare form. Um, so, yeah, standing down the other end and, and watching her go about her business was pretty special too. And it was there in that series that you guys broke the record of um, Belinda Clark's team for the most consecutive ODI wins. I know you've got a new record to talk about now, but just on the legacy, how special is it continue to continue that legacy of successful Australian women's teams? Yeah, I think it's... Um, yeah, it's a really special team to be part of. And 
you know, growing up, I watched that team play. I watched Belinda Clark play, Catherine Fitzpatrick, uh, Mel Jones, all, all those girls, um, you know, really set the tone. And I, I remember as a, a young girl, I think they were getting ready to, to go and play a, a World Cup in South Africa, maybe. Um, and I got to meet them on the MCG before they left. And that's a, a moment that stuck with me, you know, since, since it happened, really. Um, and then to think, you know, those women, some of them would go on to be really big influences in my career. So people like Joanne Broadbent, who coached at, at New South Wales for a period of time, obviously played under um, Catherine Fitzpatrick as well as the head coach of this team and, and also Victoria. Um, you know, Belinda Clark's made a, a huge contribution to the game too. So, yeah, you know, they really set the standard. And I think, you know, players coming through, um, you, know, you, you sort of know the legacy of this team and, and know that it's a successful one. So we're really keen to make sure that we do that justice and, and continue to evolve and push what's possible within the sport. And I know a lot of has been said about what's been achieved over the last week with these last three wins over New Zealand, taking you guys to 21. Did you guys take a, a moment at all um, after that third game to sit back and reflect on on your record and just the success the team's had over the last few years? It's a real strange one because we haven't spoken a lot about the record internally. Uh, it's definitely got a, a lot of traction outside the team. Um, but I think it will be something that we we do sit back and reflect on and, and be really proud of what we've achieved. And, you know, I had a, a look the other day and over the three-year period, something like 20 players have played during that time. Um, you know, we've obviously had some terrific support around the group as well. And so... Yeah, I guess while you're playing and you're in the moment, it's hard to probably appreciate just what you have achieved. But, um, you know, I think when we have the opportunity to, to sit back and reflect and perhaps we're a little bit older and, and willing to embellish some of our stories and those sorts of things, um, you know, it'll be something that, you know, really binds us together and, and binds a, a group of players who have all contributed to what's been a successful period for our team. And one other thing um, we spotted on social media after the match were you guys and the White Ferns out on the field at AB just sharing a drink. Um, what is the camaraderie like there and how important are those moments too? Yeah, it was nice to be able to, to see them. Um, only on the field again, though. We, we haven't really seen each too much of each other just because we have been in a hub. Um, but yeah, thankfully we were able to do that because the, the series had concluded. Yeah, obviously we're extremely grateful that um, they came out to Australia and, and, and participated in this series. We know it's it's not easy and, and some of the girls have got, you know, young families and those sorts of things. So it's been a, a bit of a unique challenge and, and them having to quarantine as well. So we wanted to, to definitely thank them for that because it's it's made a huge difference to, you know, be one of the first sports to play international cricket with a, uh, sorry, international sport with a, a crowd. Um, yeah, that's no mean feat in a, a pandemic. So, and the other side of it is as well, you know, obviously a, a few of the players know the girls really well through WBBL and those sorts of things. So it is nice to, to catch up before we head into the, the WBBL hub um, and domestic cricket, which we're all really looking forward to. And last question, I guess, without really knowing what's next for the Aussie women's cricket team, do I guess do we just hope for some more ODI cricket to be scheduled ahead of that World Cup in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Australian cricket's already sort of made the statement that they, they want our team to play and, um, you know, the, the players want to play international cricket too. So I know that there's not something immediately on the 
horizon, but I would envisage that um, we would play again this summer. Um, just wearing against two, I guess, is something that needs to be worked through. But, um, yeah, we've got such amazing momentum as a team. Um, we're playing really well. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic that we'll have some more playing opportunities um, at international level before the summer's over. Rach, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Scoop. Uh, it was a joy to watch you guys do your thing at AB Field and win the Rose Bowl again and wishing you all the very best with the Sydney Thunder in the WBBL Hub. Thanks very much. Go Thunder. And we are lucky enough to be joined once again by Aussie legend and ABC commentator Kristen Beams. Now, for any listeners who missed last week's episode, we asked Beamsy to make two predictions ahead of the ODIs. So her first one was that she thought Annabelle Sutherland would come into the Aussie team and have an immediate impact, tick. And she also thought Meg Lanning would have a huge series and cement her spot as one of the best ODI batters in the world, another tick. So that's two from two for you, Beamsy. Pretty good start. Thank you. I actually had somebody make contact with me after hearing this and suggested that saying Meg Lanning was going to make runs was like backing Wicks. So I was a little bit offended by that because I still thought it was a really good prediction. And, I, and I'm assuming the only reason you've asked me back is because I did go two from two, which I'm very happy about. And I absolutely love seeing Annabelle Sutherland bat at three yesterday. Set a very high standard for the rest of the summer. Looking back on the series, it's 21 straight wins now, which is just remarkable. Um, what's been your reflection on, on this winning streak they've put together? I think it's it's been a, a, bitty, a really long process, I reckon, for, for this team. And it's actually not the same team. There's been some just some little changes coming in and out and so many young players coming into a team. And that's probably my biggest reflection that it just seems like people are really happy to play their role. And I, you only have to look at yesterday to say, well, Annabelle Sutherland comes into the team and then she gets the opportunity to bat at three with the skipper out of the side, you know, to, to have a team that can do that. It would have been a really easy decision to just push everyone up the line, one position, slot Annabelle, leave Annabelle where she is or slot her up one. And instead they make that decision. And when you make decisions like that over a long period of time, you actually get together a really core group of players and a lot of people that feel like they can play a, a key role. I think in comparison to New Zealand, I think they're really top heavy on their, their best players. Um, but I think what Australia have done over a long period of time is just give confidence to a lot of young players to come in and know they're not just coming into the team as a young player, they're coming in to, to play a role. And in terms of the streak, I just think it's it's the spotlight this team deserves. And I love that people are talking about it. Uh, they've been such a successful team for a long period of time, but they deserve every accolade. And what was your favourite moment of the series? Uh, Nick Carey blocking out after accidentally hitting a four. Definitely. Um, I, I think it's such a horrible <laughs> position to be in as a player. But again, you, you look at this really selfless team and, and just say they just play for each other. And even though it was a little bit comical and it was a, it was a funny moment, I, I still think that just epitomises that group, that, that they would do that and, um, and, you know, allow Meg to get that 100. And, you know, I'm very biased as well around Belzy. You know, she's a wonderful kid that I had the privilege of spending some time with in Victoria when she first came in. So I think just seeing a player like that come in and, and just dominate right from the word go and, you know, she's still growing, which scares me uh, a lot in terms of the athlete that she's going to be for Australia. Yeah, I think Seven put up a graphic yesterday that showed the youngest 
number threes for Australia and she was the youngest. And the other names in that list were Lanning, Treadray, Gosgo and Goss. What sort of company do you think that could put her in and where could she go in this in this team? Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, Meg would be fuming. I mean, why wasn't she batting at three when she was younger, um, as she should be? Um, yeah, I think it's she's going to be an amazing player. And, uh, you know, I had the privilege of also playing alongside Meg as a 16-year-old when she came in. And, you know, you every now and then you see these once-in-a-generation players. And uh, when I saw Meg train for the first time, I thought, oh, my goodness, this girl is could be anything. And I had the same feeling when, when Belsey came into the group, I, I think they are once in a generation players. And, you know, I think what's been good from an Aussie perspective is they've just let her come in and, and play. I don't think there's been too much pressure on her around her performance and, you know, in the same way Meg did. So, you know, I think she's a, she's going to be a, a world leading player. Um, I believe. Um, and I, I think she's that perfect prototype. I think everyone's been looking for the next Elise Perry that can actually open the batting, open the bowling and, and do all of those things. And I think Annabelle Sutherland can be that player. And speaking of Meg, we saw her at the peak of her one-day powers again, um, particularly in that second match. What makes her such a good one-day player and particularly in a run chase? I think she can change gears up and down. I, I think you, you generally see a, a player in one day cricket sort of just work it around, you know, get into their innings, get up and down the wicket and then sort of open up, um, start going for boundaries and, and really breaking the game open. I think what's good about Meg is that she's got such great game awareness around where the situation is at. And when she needs to pull it back in and, and go around and play a safe brand of cricket, she can do that. When the team needs her to go big, she can go big and I, I always think a measure of a player is how well they play under pressure. And it seems like for Meg, the more pressure there is, the actually the better that she plays. And that's such a great trait for a, for a skipper. But uh, yeah, I just think it's the ability to go up and down. Like she could literally play any role at, in any game. And I think that that just gives probably Matthew Mott so much comfort around any chase. And onto the White Ferns, uh, it was a pretty tough few weeks in Australia for them. But they're hosting a World Cup in a bit over a year. Do you get the sense that they can turn things around and become a genuine contender in that tournament? I think they can. I, I think they're such a good T20 side. And they're, you know, when you look at their pl- best players performing in WBBL, they, they do so, so well. So their best players are very, very good. I think it's, it's probably just having a little bit more clarity around their roles when you're playing 50 over cricket and actually having a little bit of time. It, it felt like to me a little bit that Sophie Devine sort of played within herself a little bit and, you know, really wasn't able to take the handbrake off and play her natural style of game. So I think it's about just, you know, moving pieces around. It was good to see Amelia Kerr go up the lineup. I think that's going to help them if she can play a key role there. And they do have some good young players, but it's probably in the same way that we've talked about it from an Australian point of view is the young players have not only come in but played key roles. I think between now and the, the 50 over World Cup that New Zealand are hosting, it'd be really nice to see some of their younger players playing some key roles. And I think if they can get some confidence in that, then I think across the board, they're going to be a better team. And hopefully it allows those top players, you know, at the back end of their careers to just have this incredible moment of, of trying to dominate in a home World Cup. So it's been um, almost three years now since Australia lost a one dayer. What do you think it's going to take for any team to beat them in that format at the moment? I think it's going to take a team to play outside their skin. I, I think it's, I think the only way that we're going to see this team lose um, is going to be someone having an absolute day out. And, you know, that is a Sophie Devine, actually. The handbrake comes off and, and she goes absolutely bananas and, and makes a lot of runs. I think it's only a performance like that that's going to 
take this Australian team down because they have such incredible diversity from a bowling point of view. They've got so many options. So it doesn't matter what your weakness is as a batting lineup against any type of bowler. They have one. And, and that's, I think that's a, a real advantage. And I think from a batting point of view, they've, you know, they bat so deep. They've got players at the back end of, of their lineup who open the batting in WBBL. And that is a, that's a scary prospect for any team. When you're talking about taking early wickets, you've got to take early wickets middle innings wickets and late wickets if you're gonna if you're gonna knock off this Australian team yeah we haven't seen a whole heap of ODI cricket recently but who do you think would stack up best against the Aussies at the moment uh probably India I I think um I think that their best players play with a lot of freedom um we've seen Harmanpreet Kaur have an outstanding innings in the 2017 World Cup and I think they've got some really good slow bowling options uh, with their spin as well. So I think it's probably going to be them, but I think they'll, they'll probably want to get Australia in the subcontinent if they, if they're to probably have a chance. I think, I think on our wickets, uh, I think our batters can play just about anything. And just touching again on the depth of the Australian team at the moment, you've talked about Annabelle Sutherland, Talia McGrath got a a chance yesterday and just came out and knocked off um, quite a few runs off, not many balls. What do you think that says about the depth that's been generated in the in Australian cricket at the moment? I think it's a great testament to the MPS program. Definitely, I think that's I you know I think that's really changed the game for this Australian team. And I've heard Elisa Healy speak about that a lot to say, you know, these girls come in off the back of a lot of cricket overseas. They've played on tours. There's been under nineteen tours. There's been Oz A tours. So that program that sits underneath is producing Australian cricketers and. And that's been really exciting. And I think it's the big opportunity for domestic cricket in this country. The more domestic cricket we play and the more games we get into players, it means we're going to keep producing players who are ready to perform from an Australian um, level. And and I think that's that's the very cool thing about depth is that you look and every time the camera pans over to the bench and I see the girls sitting there, like you can picture any one of them playing a key role in that Australian team. And I'd imagine that those girls are so hungry to get an opportunity. And again, that just makes your team better when, when you've got, I think Megan Shoot mentioned it the, the other day is saying, well, you know, all these young ones are coming up. It puts you under the pump a little bit. And that's such a cool feeling for both sides, whether it be the player coming in or whether it is the senior player going, goodness me, I've actually got to keep playing outstanding cricket or one of these young punks is going to take my spot. Like I just think that that makes for a very successful future for Australia. Now, the next thing we've got to look forward to is the WBBL season, which is obviously all going to be played in Sydney inside a hub. Uh, It's obviously going to be a pretty unique experience for the players. Do you think that's something that you would have been keen for? And how do you think the players will manage that situation? Um, I think I would have done okay in a hub. I'm, I'm quite introverted, so I would have been okay in my own space. But I tell you what, the team extroverts and the pests would have been really hard work in the hub. So um, I, I'm a little bit sad to miss it because I think it's a great unknown, but at the same time, as I'm living the dream in Hobart, just wandering around um, COVID free, uh, I'm not unhappy either. But, you know, I think for the girls domestically that have had such a indifferent kind of pre-season the fact that there's a WBBL happening I think people will just be itching to get to that hub and I'm really excited I think we've seen the most amount of change across the board from a WBBL point of view so I'm very excited to see it and we're not going to get too deep into the WBBL previews just yet 
But to start getting people excited for the tournament, we've seen all the internationals have now arrived. Heaps of them are in hotel quarantine. Which international player are you most excited to see this season? Uh, Chloe Tryon, definitely. Um, I, I loved seeing her play and I, I hadn't seen a lot of her, but I think, you know, I've never seen someone strike the ball like that. You know, those South African girls, between her and Lizzie Lee, I'll tell you what, they hit a long ball. And I think that's what people want to see um, is, is those sorts of players. But I'd love to see her come back and have an even better year and dominate in, in more games because uh, she is something special. Beamsy, thank you so much for joining us on The Scoop once again. We look forward to your next round of predictions as we get stuck into WBBL. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanny. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.